Diversity and Inclusion on Air podcast. This podcast is a program of the Association of American Veterinary Medical Colleges Diversity Matters Initiative. The podcast explores various issues related to diversity and inclusion in the veterinary profession and provides the AAVMC an opportunity to offer ongoing diversity programming to our member institutions as well as all veterinary professionals. My name is Dr. Lisa Greenhill and I'm the Senior Director for Institutional Research and Diversity at the AAVMC. So on today's show, we are discussing AAVMC and its role in promoting diversity, equity, and inclusion in the veterinary profession. Now, AAVMC has a pretty long history of working on these issues. Shortly after the founding of the organization, the group constituted a committee on multicultural affairs. And that group really was the tip of the spear, so to speak, with respect to diversity and inclusion in the profession. That group was responsible for bringing the Iverson Bell Symposium to AAVMC, for insisting that we collect demographic data. Uh, Individuals on that committee are largely responsible for some of the most impactful um, diversity recruiting and retention programs um, that exist at schools across the nation today. So we're really indebted to the leadership of the AAVMC at that time um, and to the members of the committee for bringing us to this point. Now, in 2005, we'll talk a little bit about what happened um, just preceding 2005 today, but we launched the Diversity Matters Initiative, which is typically what most people know us for now. Um, It's hard to believe that that was 15 years ago. I have a lot more gray hair than I did when I started in this position. Um, So much has changed over the years, and I feel like we've made really incredible strides. But as with everything, there's always much more work to be done. So two months ago, when the nation and actually the world kind of rose up in response to the deaths of George Floyd, Ahmaud Arbery, and Breonna Taylor, veterinary medicine was also called upon to respond to what has kind of evolved into this kind of great reckoning with respect to race, um, not just in the U.S., but globally. And AAVMC, under the leadership of today's guest, stepped right on out there and responded. So uh, it is my pleasure to welcome AAVMC CEO, Dr. Andrew McCabe, to the show. Yay. For folks Thank that you. I'm so glad to be here. Yeah, for folks that don't know, Andy's my boss. Um, So I've been hosting the show now for about five years, close to five years this fall. And this is the first time, sadly, that I've invited him on as a guest. So welcome to the show. Thank you, Lisa. So as is our custom on the show, um, I have my guests uh, do a bit of self-introduction before we dive into our topic. Well, thanks again very much for the invitation. And uh, before I start with that, I I will say uh, this was the show that uh, probably needed to come on to. So it was all right to wait for five years. And we'll talk more about it uh, later. But I do want to put this marker down. Uh, When we think about all the threats uh, that are facing this profession and all the opportunities that we have, I really do believe that the single most important issue that we have to deal with in this profession is the topic of diversity. Our profession must become more diverse if we're going to be able to handle the challenges of the future. Uh, If we fail to do so, it'll be an existential threat 
to our very future. So I'm really glad to be here, Lisa, and have an opportunity to share with you uh, some of my ideas. Um, I'll tell you real quickly, uh, I'm a 1985 uh, graduate of Ohio State. I began my career in a mostly dairy practice in Northeast Ohio, uh, where I uh, had the uh, great opportunity to work, uh, you know, mostly uh, dairy operations there and a little bit of public health. Uh, subsequent to that, I entered active duty in the Air Force where I spent a total of 25 years uh, doing uh, public health, traveling around the world, getting kind of a global perspective. Um, but uh, somewhere in the middle there, I uh, left that to join AAVMC in the early 2000s. Uh, stayed for a period of about five years. And then I went for a, a brief period of time to work with CDC, where I was CDC's liaison to the Food and Drug, Drug Administration for about another five years before I returned to AAVMC in 2012. And that's where you find me now. Yeah. And so uh, this is something that Andy and I actually have in, in common. We are um, the two boomerangs at AVMC. We've left and come back. Um, so uh, I'm really excited about this conversation. So uh, thanks for being here. So tell us the story um, from your perspective. Uh, describe the origins of the Diversity Matters Initiative. Yeah, well, you mentioned in your opening comments some of the early work that this association has done with regards to diversity almost since our very founding in 1966 as an association. It was in the 1970s that uh, the association established the Multicultural Affairs Committee, and that laid the groundwork for much of the subsequent work uh, that we've been able to do. But it was um, in 2002 uh, when a predecessor of mine in this position, uh, Larry Hyder, who was formerly the dean of the Atlantic Veterinary College at Prince Edward Island, um, and also a, a dairy guy from Ohio, which is where I first met uh, Larry when I was uh, going to school. He was uh, on the faculty when I was a student there. But as the executive director of this association, uh, Larry continued to build on the work uh, of many others, including yet a former executive director, Billy Hooper, who was a strong champion of uh, diversity and inclusion in veterinary medicine. But it was Larry who was transformative when he uh, took a proposition to the board of directors to say that we need to hire a full-time permanent person who's gonna work on this issue if we're gonna make any advancement. And the board recognized that vision. They saw the importance of this position. And uh, most especially, Larry had the uh, great vision to hire uh, probably the preeminent uh, director for diversity and inclusion of any association. Uh, but no, actually, Lisa, it was, uh, that's when uh, we hired you and brought you in to be part of our team and develop the Diversity Matters program. And I think the, uh, uh, we'll talk a little bit more about the impact, but uh, that was uh, a transformational move for us. Absolutely, absolutely. There was also like this, uh, there was an article too that was published in the Journal of Blacks in Higher Education around that time um, that also kind of uh, played a little bit of an influence there. And, and the article's title was something like um, veterinary medicine, 
the most segregated of all of the health professions. And I, I just remember that Larry was really quite upset about that. Um, and, and there was a kind of a back and forth with the editor. And I have this letter somewhere in my files that says where the editor wrote back was like, yes, I, I know that is upsetting. And it's true. <laughs> Actually, I'll just I do remember that the title the title of that article was the most racist oh, wow. uh, profession uh, in America. And I think uh, actually it's very apropos of, of the current dis dialogue and discussion that's going on today. Uh, racism and being called racist uh, obviously has negative uh, connotations. And I think what the challenge there is it makes people very defensive. In this particular situation, it had the desired effect in so far as it uh, resulted in change. I don't, I, but, but I think in my, in my view, the, the reason the term is justified and was justified then, even though it stung and it hurt, yeah. is what the editor and the author of that article were speaking to is the systemic racism that occurs throughout so many institutions, higher education in general, and in veterinary medical education in particular. In fact, we have a history of uh, actively discriminating against minorities and against women in this profession. We are beyond that time now, but the vestiges of that continue to this day. So I, th I think it was a, a call to action that had a desired effect. It got attention. It did, it did. So we are 15 years uh, since that time now. So what do you think about the development and expansion of the program over the years? Well, it's been huge. And uh, I think the data speaks for itself that uh, we can see a dramatic increase in the number of underrepresented minorities uh, enrolled in our programs. And we can see uh, dramatic uh, progress in our admissions practices and the evidence basis that we're building uh, to support these efforts. So when I look at um, the types of things that uh, we've been able to do as an association with your leadership, Lisa, it's, it revolves around uh, the data. Uh, it's about meetings. It's about projects. It's about uh, communications. It's about putting attention on this issue. <clears throat> the framework that we've used in the association is analyze, catalyze, and advocate. So again, under the analyze function, we uh, have the best source of data about the demographics of the uh, profession or of the enrollment, both the applicant pool and the enrolled student body. And we make that a front and center piece of our public data set. We're not shy about sharing that data and demonstrating where we've had uh, positive effect and where we still need to have uh, do some work. Under the catalyze uh, function, uh, the various meetings that we've had, you mentioned the Iverson Bell Symposium uh, that we've held, and now many regional uh, Iverson Bell Symposia too have been spawned from that effort. Uh, I also wanna mention the pilot project that you initiated on holistic admissions <clears throat> to get our schools and our admissions committees working together to say, what are some of the practices that are effective? What works and, and how can we uh, recruit and admit more underrepresented minorities in veterinary medicine? And then finally, the advocacy, the communications uh, and outreach part of what we do 
everything from featuring this topic in our uh, directed communications channels, uh, but also uh, our very strong position statements. And I have to uh, commend the uh, diversity committee that I know you worked with, Lisa, on developing our principles of inclusion, which have been uh, very strong uh, and served as a foundation for us to take a position and to advance our work in this issue. So all of these things collectively have <clears throat> raised us to a completely new level uh, in diversity and inclusion. So what has been the impact? Um, certainly we know that there's been, um, you know, you mentioned the, the, the data show that we've certainly increased um, representation, right? The kind of structural diversity. Um, but what do you think has been the, the kind of larger um, impact on academic veterinary medicine and, and then maybe the profession more broadly? Yeah, so I think, um, you know, that's one measure of outcome, right, It's the number of students. And it's convenient because they're countable and we can keep track of that. And it's dramatic, but it is, it's kind of a lagging indicator, meaning it's, uh, we had to do a lot of work beforehand, before those numbers uh, started changing. So I think the biggest impact has been, um, first of all, about the consolidation of all of these different efforts that were going on, different uh, bits and pieces, bringing it together and adding focus and a sense of purpose uh, to this whole effort. Uh, and again, I think that's an area where the association has been able to lead. Uh, there was a lot of good work being done by our member institutions but they were limited in scope and they couldn't, you know, they were all doing things independently. By elevating this program into the status that it has at the association as a signature program front and center, we've been able to align a number of different initiatives. And there's a lot of different definitions of strategy, but that's one of my favorite ones is strategy is when you, uh, bring alignment to all of your programs and get them all working in the same direction. Even if they have slightly different goals and objectives, they are all aiming the same way. And I think that's what the Diversity Matters program has been. The big impact has been to focus our efforts and get us going in a single direction. So, so and what about the association as, as a as a collective, certainly, um, you know, we are all kind of now moving in the same direction, but what about AAVMC as an entity? Well, we, I think that this, by making, focusing on this effort, uh, we have emerged as uh, a trusted leader and a valued partner in this area. Uh, we have developed the expertise over many years so that our member institutions now look to us for support and guidance for their efforts. Uh, but we also are, the, you know, a lot of that expertise resides at our member institutions. And we know where uh, some of those very strong programs are, notably the uh, Center for Diversity and Inclusion in Veterinary Medicine at uh, Purdue University. Uh, so it's a combination of us uh, leading those groups, but also uh, featuring their, uh, their expertise. And it's extended beyond uh, academic veterinary medicine, beyond our association. Uh, we've had impact on the profession at large. And again, I think it's 
is because we were the first organization to really focus uh, on this and all of organized veterinary medicine. Uh, AVMA is one of our strongest partners across the board in everything that we do. And they too have devoted uh, substantial resources to this effort. So we work closely with them, but I, uh, I'm very proud of the work that this association has done. Again, much of it under your leadership to lead the whole profession uh, and to get things going there. But even beyond the veterinary medical profession, we have also been leaders in interprofessional, uh, in the interprofessional area. So we work as part of the Federation of Associations of Schools of the Health Professions. And there are uh, now 15 of those associations all here in the Washington DC area. All of them have uh, programs in diversity and inclusion, uh, but we are uh, among the uh, leading organizations in that area. And again, that's, that's the impact that it's had is we're now seen as uh, having the expertise and the credibility to run these programs. Great. Yeah, I'm, I have to say, I'm, I'm just so uh, proud of the work that the association has been able to, to do over my tenure. Um, it's been a, a real pleasure. And one thing that, you know, I, I, when I chat with my diversity colleagues, either in veterinary medicine or um, outside of the profession, one of the benchmarks that I um, kind of use as a measure of success in terms of permeating an organization is that I don't have to be in the room and I know that this topic will still get discussed and it will be a robust discussion. And so that really, um, you know, it's always really important to have someone who kind of carries the water on it, but to not have to be there and know that that discussion, a robust discussion on this subject will still get that airtime, for me is a real mark of success. And I remember some of those early discussions we had, Lisa, it's the objective was not to have diversity and inclusion over here as this discrete thing, you know, that, oh, well, when you want to talk about that, you go over here and talk about that. The goal was to have it permeate every single thing that we do, all the way from admissions to uh, well-being to, you know, curriculum, all, all the way through teaching, research, service, the mission of our member institutions. We wanted to see it permeate every single discussion. We're not quite there, but what you described is, you're right, we've made substantial progress so that um, it's not just you. And it's not just the diversity committee that are saying, wait, don't forget, what's the diversity element here? What's the diversity component? Now, more and more people are raising that on their own. And you're right, you don't have to be right there to do it. There are uh, people, we're, we've, we've uh, created that culture, yeah. I think. Yeah. So what's next for us in the diversity <laughs> space at AVMC? What are you going to, what are you going to make me do next? <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, we have spent a little bit of time talking about uh, some of the great successes that we have had and some of the impact that we've had and some of the leadership <clears throat> that we've been able to demonstrate in this area. And that's all good. Uh, we've built a strong foundation in diversity, equity, and inclusion. Uh, and I would say that that is a necessary but not sufficient uh, 
standpoint. So when I talk about diversity, you know, and our work there, I think it began with uh, raising awareness of the topic, developing an appreciation for the differences that uh, people from different backgrounds bring. Uh, when we talk about equity, we talk about removing the barriers and obstacles and trying to level the playing field. And we've done a, a fair amount of work there. There's more yet to be done. Uh, when we talk about inclusion, I think about uh, preparing a welcoming environment at our colleges where every student can succeed uh, and where they are uh, not uh, confronted with uh, biases and prejudices. Again, we've made progress, but there's a lot of work to do there. Um, I remember a definition that you gave of this distinction between diversity and inclusion. Uh, diversity is uh, being uh, asked to come to the party. Inclusion is being invited to dance. Uh, so even if we are successful at uh, admitting uh, underrepresented minorities or people from other diverse backgrounds, that isn't sufficient until we've made a culture, a climate that is welcoming for them to succeed uh, while they're in veterinary school. So like I said, we've developed a strong foundation uh, in diversity, equity, and inclusion. We've done all of these things, but I believe, especially with the current um, political movement, the current environment that we're operating on, we need to build on this strong foundation and we need to pivot to a much more proactive stance uh, to promote uh, social justice, uh, civil rights, and anti-racism. Um, and by the way, you know, not only is this you know good to do for society, but this is a part of our selfish interest. We have to do more to recruit people from diverse backgrounds into this profession, uh, and we will very quickly exhaust all of the diversity that's in our applicant pool unless we move further upstream. Uh, by that, I mean we've got to do much more recruitment in the high school, the pre-college years, high school and middle school, and even reaching into uh, elementary school, uh, primary school, so that we can uh, expose young people to uh, the role of animals in society uh, and careers in veterinary medicine, and maybe get some students, some young people who had not previously considered a career in veterinary medicine to start looking at that. Um, so we've, we've got still a lot of work to do, but I think it's gonna be a conscious pivot to uh, social justice, civil rights, and anti-racism. Exciting. I'm very excited about this. Very excited. So everybody stay tuned. Um, so from a leadership perspective, as the leader of an organization, what advice would you give to your colleagues at other veterinary organizations um, who might be exploring ways of, of kind of getting to this space and um, thinking about diversity initiatives if they don't have one or expanding? Um, so the, the first lesson that I've taken from our experience, and we've uh, mentioned this in several other forums and talked about it in other ways, is the importance of dedicated resources. Uh, this, you cannot advance this type of work 
by just making it an additional duty for somebody else who has another job. Uh, and I think, again, what was transformational for, for this association was when we created a full-time position for a director for diversity. Uh, and then we had the presence of mind to hire you into that position. Uh, but the point was we, the board dedicated the resources that it would take to make this a full-time job for somebody to manage and to develop the program. So that's number one, is you have to be prepared to dedicate the resources. Uh, number two is uh, it's a marathon, not a sprint. So it takes a lot of time and a lot of patience. Uh, we have been very successful, and I think the data shows that we have had a measurable impact on the number of underrepresented minorities enrolled in our school in a, the, the curve, the, sh the shape of the curve started changing approximately five years after you launched the Diversity Matters program. And the, it has gone steadily steeper since then. And I attribute that to the work uh, that we've done with this program. Notably, simply by raising awareness of the issue, by publishing and tracking the data, and by removing barriers to admission. Frankly, as important as that work is, that's a low bar, right? Just to raise awareness and remove barriers, all right? So the hard work is coming up and that is to actively recruit and to uh, change minds and to get uh, a different, uh, get, get more people interested in careers in veterinary medicine. Uh, this is a 30 year plan. It's not gonna happen in three years. It's not gonna happen in 13 years. It's gonna take a generation or more, a generation and a half before we start having the sustainable thing. So that's the time and effort, the marathon, not a sprint. And then the, the last piece of advice I'd mentioned, because again, it, it keeps rearing its head, and that is be prepared for setbacks and resistance. Uh, this is not easy work. There, well, let me take that back. There are things you can do that are very superficial and you can put a check mark. Yep, oh, diversity is important to us. We care about that and we're done. Uh, next issue. That's not hard, that's, not, that's easy, but it's also superficial and it doesn't result in change. The hard work comes when you have to make difficult decisions. Uh, when you have to talk about, we're gonna move these resources from here to here because this is important. And that uh, oftentimes puts people in defensive positions. I'm thinking now of uh, several of our schools that are dealing with uh, the uh, uh, aftermath of the, uh, the, uh, the things you mentioned, the Black Lives Matter, the social unrest, the uh, protest movements and things like that. And several of them are taking steps to actively create a culture or an environment that is more welcoming of uh, minority students and diverse students. And part of that may mean uh, removing the visual reminders of the heritage and the legacy of these schools, which are predominated by white men. Um, and some people say, well, then you're stealing our history. You're not, you don't appreciate us, you don't want that. 
And the answer is no, that's not the case. Uh, I don't know of any dean serving today or any college serving day that doesn't uh, celebrate that heritage. But when it is a barrier to inclusiveness, we have to find a different way to celebrate that. So sometimes removing uh, those uh, class pictures, you know, from uh, in some cases over a hundred years ago, you know, that were uh, all men and all white. Uh, sometimes that uh, makes for a more inclusive environment when you uh, set those things aside in a different place and make them easily accessible, uh, but you don't feature them front and center. And those are difficult decisions. So be prepared for uh, setbacks and resistance uh, to these changes. That's, that's another piece of advice. Great advice. And so more broadly, though, um, as an individual, what advice would you give to your veterinary colleagues on diversity? Yeah, so this is a previous things I was saying were more of the organizational institutional level. And I guess <clears throat> this question would make me want to think more on a personal uh, level. So the first one is, you know, take some time to reflect uh, on this issue and, and to ponder it. It's very easy to get defensive uh, when people talk about diversity and inclusion because for many of us, it, it seems like, are you saying that I'm not inclusive? Are you saying that I don't care about that? And the issue is no, but it's, 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 not, it's not that at all, but it's very easy to get defensive. So before you get too defensive, first of all, take time to reflect uh, and, and think about the issue and try to learn more about the issue. That's the first thing that I would say. Uh, <clears throat> but secondly, I'd say it's helpful if you're able to adopt a mindset of humility and grace. Um, and I say that I got a little choked up about it, partly because I've got some allergies, but partly because it's a, it's a humbling experience. <clears throat> this, um, this issue is a journey for all of us, right? You know, we, it's a learning journey. If you choose it to be, you, you can close your mind to it and say, not me, that's for somebody else to handle. But if you want to go through the, the growth experience and, and take the journey, um, it's revealing and it helps if you approach it with some humility and grace. And the part that I was reflecting on earlier when I was thinking about this is I feel that I'm getting closer to that state later in life. <clears throat> I wish I'd been able to achieve that sooner. Uh, and not, not that I've ultimately achieved it, but I'm aiming more towards that direction. Uh, and so if I had an opportunity to uh, speak with young people in the profession about it, it would be to develop the tools and techniques to, uh, first of all, avoid defensiveness and uh, develop a sense of humility and grace as you explore these issues. Great advice. Great advice. And one thing I, you know, I'm so glad that you mentioned um, the piece about humility and grace. And I think that, you know, that's also a, a piece that I hope that, that we'll bring to our pivot um, towards social justice. And that is um, the inclusion of, of the notion of restorative justice, right? And so we're in this period of time where, you know, something happens, someone says something, 
and then, you know, the world comes crashing down, right? This kind of notion of cancel culture. And I'm not going to lie. There are times when I am like, big X on you, like I'm done here, right? There are some egregious things where um, it makes it very difficult to practice restorative justice. However, I think it is really important for us to be mindful and thoughtful and demonstrate grace um, as recognizing that this is a journey. People are gonna say things because they're not really sure of the lingo or they're not, they're not familiar with the data or the concepts are just so radically new and contrary to their way of thinking that there has to be some space there to allow people to grow without just kind of leaving them in the ditch that we've just kind of might've kicked them in accidentally or on purpose. So we've got to really kind of um, make sure that, um, you know, we kind of give people those opportunities to grow. And so as we move um, into kind of a, a, a space as an organization, thinking about the future of diversity programming, you know, I'm hoping that we'll also be able to, to spend some time thinking about restorative justice and giving um, space and time and grace for people to grow. Because this isn't, um, you know, this isn't a fly-by-night kind of thing. And I think it's also important for folks to understand that mar folks from marginalized identities um, don't necessarily have a complete lock <laughs> on this, this um, DNI knowledge. Um, there's, there's a lot of, um, you know, marginalization that even happens within groups and so, and across groups. And so there's always things for us to learn and that we just really need to, to demonstrate straight that grace um, um, as a whole to kind of help move us again, all in those same directions. So yeah, great advice. Yeah. So any great books before we uh, uh, log off that you've read that you think you might want to recommend to folks to also read? Well, uh, I know you've, we've talked a little bit already about uh, the book, uh, White Fragility, um, that, uh, and we're going to have uh, uh, the author, Robin D'Angelo, will be speaking at our annual conference. Uh, and again, it was, it's a book that, um, you know, it doesn't have all the answers. It's a piece of the puzzle. Uh, it's a book that allowed me to see, uh, you know, that some of the things that it was easy for me to say, that's not me, that's uh, some other group that's responsible for that. I didn't have anything to do with that. Uh, but when you recognize that, absolutely, nobody said that you did have anything to do with that, right? That's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about is what do we need to do as a society to overcome that and to uh, get rid of the institutional racism that occurs. Um, another uh, book that was also very influential to me in this area was uh, The New Jim Crow uh, by uh, Michelle Alexander that talked about the, um, uh, the mass incarceration and how you know, one system of oppression was just replaced with another, with another, with another. So beginning with slavery and then uh, the um, uh, reign of terror, the uh, domestic terrorism and extrajudicial killings and lynchings and things like that was then replaced with Jim Crow legalized apartheid, which then has been replaced by mass incarceration. And it's, you know, just one system of oppression after another um, that, you know, unless you link those pieces together, you can't see it. So those are uh, 
I thought were some very valuable, valuable books that have changed uh, my thinking in this area. Awesome. Awesome. So uh, be sure, folks, to check that out. There's also lots of really great um, resources online. Um, There are tons of book lists that have been created (laughs) um, in the last couple of months. So uh, be sure to check those out. There's, There's lots of really great resources out there. So with that, I will thank Andy, um, for being a guest on the show. This has been a really great conversation. And I just want to take a moment to say um, thank you for being a really great leader. It is um, a joy to work with you. And it is um, really just been wonderful um, to be able to grow this program under your leadership. And and so thank you for uh, all that you do. Well, I appreciate that, Lisa. And uh, let me get the last word in then to say, you know, we spoke about uh, this being a journey uh, of growth and discovery for all of us, right? Uh, Those of us uh, in, you know, uh, in majority groups and those of us in minority groups. Uh, And I'm just so uh, pleased and privileged to have you as my, uh, one of my guides along this journey. And I really appreciate Uh, everything that you bring uh, to this uh, job, to this position, and to this association every day. Uh, I honestly don't know what we would do without you. Thank you. So yes, we're going to end the show on a nice little love fest today. (laughs) So this has been another episode of AAVMC's Diversity and Inclusion on Air. To Andy, again, thank you so much for being on the show. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast on, on your favorite podcast app. We're on all of them. And be sure to like our Facebook page, which is AAVMC's Diversity Matters on Air. So thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. Thank you.